Podcasting from the one and only planet Earth, it's I Heart This. In a world that seems determined to call out what's wrong, we remember what's right, what's beautiful, what's good. I'm Ben Lord. Let's talk about what we love. Today, I want to give thanks for walking in the woods. A note of clarification, when I say walk in the woods, I'm also talking about walking in canyons and deserts and rocky mountain peaks and paddling alone through the mangroves. But the woods of New England are what I know, so forgive me if the language I use is specific to them. Now, I don't think anyone would disagree with the idea that woodsy rambles are nice. Most people find foliage to be pleasant, and they get excited to catch a glimpse of a deer. But for me, walking in the woods has been more than just a contemplative pastime. It's been something sacramental. If the I Heart This podcast is a series of thank you notes, today's podcast is not a Dear Aunt Marge, thanks for the sweater kind of thank you note. It's more of a hallelujah. I can never repay this undeserved grace. Let me start with a story. I was in high school when it happened, junior year, I think. I'd been practicing a kind of walking meditation for a few weeks. Went something like this. I'd walk very slowly and quietly, feeling the ground with each step before I put weight in my foot. My hands folded in front of me, my eyes soft. It was late March, overcast. It was cool. I can remember the spirals of frost on the railing of our deck. I walked my little meditative walk to the pond at the edge of the woods. I had no destination. That was part of the practice, to let my heart take me in whatever direction it would. The wind had been strange that day, with brisk gusts that would come out of nowhere and then disappear, leaving the air still and quiet for a while, and then another gust would come. And I was standing at the edge of the pond when suddenly one of those gusts of wind came across the water. The next part is hard for me to describe. I mean, not the external events, those were plain enough. The surface, which had just been a glassy reflection of the sky a moment before, exploded into these arcs of little ripples that raced across the surface. It looked like the footsteps of an invisible spirit dance. What happened inside me, though, is so much harder to put into words. Nothing like it had ever happened to me before, and nothing quite like it has ever happened since. It was like I became just one giant eye, like I was transparent. I could feel everything. Someone had turned the brightness up in the world, and every detail appeared in overwhelming and microscopic relief. And none of those descriptions are quite right. Whatever it was made me feel dizzy. And I remember falling to the ground and catching myself, my gloved hands resting in the frosty grass, and I just stared at them, this almost painfully joyful feeling in my heart. I have probably spent more time thinking of that moment in my life than any other, and I still have no idea what it means. The yogis talk about a mind state called samadhi, a kind of crazy intense concentration that breaks down the barrier between the self and the divine. But usually samadhi is experienced after what Patanjali calls 
devoted practice for a long time, and that certainly wasn't true for me. I was 17. I was just playing around with meditation, and while the experience totally changed me, it didn't grant me enlightenment. Spoiler alert, I didn't become a saint. Just ask my students. I'm sure they could provide a comprehensive list of my shortcomings. It turns out that after profoundly altered states of consciousness, you're still just an average guy. I've been mulling over all of this for a few decades, and in my decided non-expertise, here's what I've got. Walk in the woods, quietly and alone, and it wakes you up. Here's the part where I'm supposed to walk back the extravagances of that story with qualifiers like, well, not every walk in the woods leads to revelation, but I don't really believe that. Pretty much every time I walk alone in the woods, I feel like I'm plopped down in the presence of miracles. And even though the psychedelic fireworks don't go off every time, something inside me peels open almost without fail. And walking in a wild place is the most reliable way that I know of to do that. Even more than meditation or yoga or prayer, I don't think I'm alone in that. Think of vision quests and other rites of passage. Think about poets and philosophers. My man, Henry D. Thoreau, traveled much and conquered. Walt Whitman took to the open road, afoot and lighthearted. Mary Oliver got saved by the beauty of the world, and Annie Dillard was a pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Even Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days before his ministry began. When we go out into the wilderness, we are in good company. How does something as simple as walking alone in the woods do this for us? I don't know, but I have some guesses. First, this is going to seem funny but it's easy to forget how much world there is out there. I, I wade off into the bushes anywhere and find a suitable rock or a stump to sit on, and suddenly I'm a guest in a place that has a life of its own. That place doesn't care about me. It's not connected to the imaginary world I've made called my life. Ferns and mosses, ants and beetles, they are all born and live and die without any human characters in their stories at all. The work of the world goes on whether there are humans there to notice it or not. I can spend a whole afternoon with my nose in a little nook watching the dramas that take place in a spider's web. And then when I stand up at the end and stretch my legs, I see 10,000 other places where I could have stopped and seen something totally different. The world is so baroque. It's so ornate. It's so full of mystery. Go ahead, try it. Walk two minutes through the forest without coming up against something you don't know. I dare you not to be wonderstruck. Where was that beetle born? Why does that bird sing? How does a leaf know when to stop growing? Why did the delicate little needles of this snowflake form so differently from that one? How can the world ever be boring when we are neck deep in the unknown? Second, the woods remind me of another thing that is easy to forget, which is the world is not here on my terms. 
Most of us spend our days in these temperature-controlled boxes that fool us into thinking otherwise, but when I'm walking in the woods, the truth is in my face. The woods don't give a snap about my problems. They are cold and wet and mosquito-full. The rocks are sharp. The path is full of thorns. In a few places still, there are creatures that would see me as prey. It's humbling to remember that I am not the center of the world. Indeed, on the surface of this round earth, there is no center. You're probably getting the sense that the walking I'm talking about is different from what most people would call a hike. I, I love hiking the hills around my home with friends and testing myself against a good steep mountain. But the walking I'm talking about today doesn't happen on a trail usually. As Gary Snyder said in his remarkable book of essays called The Practice of the Wild, everything else is off the path. The relentless complexity of the world is off to the side of the trail. For a forager, the path is not where you walk for long. Life is off the trail. Maybe that's another reason that these woodsy walks can be so profound. On the trail, there are two ways to go, forward and back. But take just a few steps to the side and suddenly my possibilities are infinite. There's no limit to which way I can go. This kind of freedom is both terrifying and exhilarating. Step off the trail and I suddenly remember that every moment of my life is like this. However confined I might feel by my habits and my expectations, I always have choice. Finally, stepping off the trail and into the woods makes it undeniably obvious that there is no place to get to. The top of the mountain is no more special than the swamp at the bottom. All my ambitions and dreams are just that. Dreams. Illusions. I invented them. As Carlos Castaneda said in the teachings of Don Juan, all paths are the same. They lead nowhere. They are paths going through the brush or into the brush. The only question to ask is, does this path have a heart? So maybe the woods work their magic on me because of all these things that I tend to forget. That the world is big. That within it, I am of little consequence. That whatever limits I put on myself, I am ultimately free. And that my goals are illusions. But that's not what the magic feels like. Mostly, it just feels like putting myself in the way of beauty and letting it crash over me. The world is a constantly booming thunder wave of mystery, and I just have to get out of my own way to see it. In the spring of 1867, a young Scottish-American immigrant named John Muir was laboring at Osgood Smith & Company, a carriage parts factory in Indianapolis. He was shy, devoutly religious, and terribly clever with his hands. A few years earlier, John had had ambitions to graduate from the University of Madison, Wisconsin. But his studies had been cut short by the Civil War, and now, 28 years old, with a half-finished college degree and dashed hopes of a medical career, he was being swept up by the Industrial Revolution. He'd made a name for himself by inventing machines of various kinds, clocks and thermometers, gopher traps and sawmills. In one factory, he had 
doubled the daily output of broom handles. You might imagine that with his mechanical talents, he would be riding the tide of industry to prosperity, but John was a conflicted man. He loved wildflowers and birds and poetry and this frenetic mechanical business, however exhilarating, had no soul. On the night of March 6th, John was using the pointed end of a file to tighten a belt on one of the factory's machines. And the file slipped and jabbed him in the eye. The humors of his eye dripped into his hand. A bystander who witnessed the whole thing reported that John muttered to himself, My right eye is gone, closed forever on God's beauty. Then, as if in sympathy, the sight faded from his left eye as well. A doctor advised that he might regain his sight if he rested it. And so, John closed himself in a darkened room for a month. A month! No day, no night, no sense of time, no reading, and no knowing whether his vision would ever be restored. Just him and his thoughts in the dark. When he finally emerged and found his sight restored, he went to the woods, and for hours he walked through them, filling himself up with light. And he never stopped. Four months later, John Muir walked out of Indianapolis, never returning to the factory floor. Homeless and mostly penniless, he walked with a journal and a plant press for a thousand miles first to Florida, then eventually to the mountains of California where he would become the supposed father of our national parks. God has to nearly kill us sometimes to teach us lessons, he said. And what was God's lesson for John? Well, based on what he did with the rest of his life, I think it was something like this. The walk isn't just a diversion or a break. It's not the thing you do when the real work of life is done. The walk is the real work. Maybe there's no reason we're here, but maybe being here is reason enough. By whatever grace, we have the chance to spend a life exploring this grand garden we've been born into. John said it this way, I only went out for a walk and finally concluded to stay out till sundown. For going out, I found, was really going in. I Heart This is written, edited, and produced by me, Ben Lord. You can find more things to love at our website, iheartthispodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind, be curious, be thankful. <laughs>